Hello, we have the honor of speaking with Thomas Johansson, who is uh, no stranger to tennis folks, winner for Slam, Canada Masters, uh, Olympic silver medal, and now coaching Maria Sakari. Thank you, Thomas, for taking time out and speaking with us at Tennis with an Accent. Thank you, thank you. So yeah, let's start uh, with you coaching, and then we'll move back the clock. Sure. So you're coaching Maria. What uh, since uh, when you guys have been together, and uh, what what is that you see in her game, and why you took the job? Well, we've been working together since uh, New Haven last year, so we have one year of celebration today. One year anniversary, nice. <laughs> exactly. Um, she is a. When we started to work, she was around 100 in the world. Um, and I like I took the job because when I met her I saw that she she really wanted to improve um, she was ready to work very very hard um, she had the basics and she also had the, the physical skills uh, that not many women has in the game for the moment so um, I really liked the challenge because I saw that she has a very good potential um, of course we, we had to do some changes in both our technique and also you know a little bit with the tactical skills um, but she's been doing really well you know she's she's a lot of fun to work with and like I said she every morning she wakes up she's she's ready to work really hard um, so um, no I see it as a, as a big challenge and I think the potential I think she has proven so many times that she can beat uh, you know the best girls in the world and uh, how do you plan? Uh, you're a full-time coach. Do you have uh, training blocks and then you have short-term short -term or long-term goals? What is the strategy here as far as ranking goes and tournament? How do you decide the balancing act? Well, when we, when we started to work, I said, you know, the, the, the big goal for, for next year is to get seated in US Open. And now she's going to be seated 32. <laughs> so that was, a, you know, we achieved our goal. But now I think that... I feel, and, and especially she feels as well, that she, you know, she, she can compete with the best girls in the world in the, on a daily basis. So um, um, I, I think that there is still room for improvement. But I think that it's tough to say, can, be, can she become top 10, can she become top 5, top 20, whatever. But I think if you have reached top 30 in the world, I think you can, you can go quite far. You also coached Wozniacki, so did that help you? Because you, uh, before that you coached Chorich and uh, Kafan. So is it different coaching on two tours? Yes, it's a huge difference. It's a, it's a difference of night and day. Because uh, um, the, the, the female players, are it, it, they're very emotional. Um, I think that the guys are more tactical. So for me, it was also a big challenge, you know, how you communicate to the player. Because... I mean, I was coaching, like you said, I was coaching Borna and David, and I, I can't communicate the same way with, let's say, Caroline or, or Maria. So I think as a, as a coach, I have improved a lot because, um, you know, being on the two tours is, is, is a big challenge. Like I said, it's, and it's a big difference, and you have, to, you have to improve all the time as a coach as well. Are you surprised to see your former charges, uh, both Chorich and Gafan, having solid years? Uh, the potential was always there, so how do you look back at that? Uh, well, I always saw a huge potential in both players. Uh, they are different, but uh, you know, when I worked with Borna, he was extremely young, uh, and I worked with with David in, in 2016. So, um, and that he had a great year in 2016. That was when he started to to beat um, you know the top top five, top ten players on a daily basis. So, um, 
I really enjoyed working with both of them. Both of them are great guys, uh, working really hard. So I'm not surprised at all that that they are where they are today. Uh, let's take a step back now. You, I mean, you retired in 2009. Yes. So uh, I know as as fans and students of the game, the ball was being hit very hard even then with Safin and Gonzalez and you know Joachim Johansson, not a big hit as Filipusis. Yep. How has the game changed that the naked eye doesn't see, but you guys see? What is different now in the Federer, Djokovic, Nadal era than the first year of the Federer and when you were on tour? How has the game changed? In- um, to be deadly honest, I don't think the game has changed that much. Uh, but what I see has changed is is how you train outside the court and uh, how you eat and. Uh, how you can have a great career when you're 35, 36 still. When I played, um, most of the guys, they retired around 31, 32, you know, maybe maybe at the best 34. Today we know a lot more how we practice, how we prepare, how we eat, how we drink. Uh, so that's, I think that's the reason why we see Roger is still, you know, playing really, really well and, and other older players as well. So... Um, so you're saying is the game same amount of physical or more physical, less physical? I would say maybe a little bit more physical. I think that uh, uh, you know the serve and volley players, they're gone now. We don't have anyone except maybe Roger that he does occasionally. He doesn't do it Misha all the Zverev, maybe. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But you only have a few. Um, you only have a few that are playing different. You know, I, I think most of the guys now are playing pretty much the same tennis. You have a few exceptions, but when I played, when I came up, we had guys like Santoro, you know, we had guys like Gianluca Pozzi. Uh, now, like you said, we have Misha Sverev, you know, he plays serve volley. But you, most of the tennis today is played from the baseline, you know. It's, they, they don't, they're not coming in that often. They're, they're not using the slice that much that maybe we did. Um, they don't do as much serve volley. So that I, I, I can see like a big change. And uh, in terms of uh, strings, I know you were also playing with polyester strings. How big is that a change? That how, how has that changed the game? I know you played most of it. Do you play with polyester? Well, yeah, yeah. Now I do, but but when I played, uh, you know, when I won Asian Open, for example, I, I played full gut, you know, full natural gut, which most of the guys are did. Um, I think in the end of my career, that's where you started to go half off, you know, like natural and and uh, like Luxelon string or whatever. Um, with the with the Luxelon string, if you go full, you can you can play you can hit the ball a lot harder, and the, the ball always seems to you know go in in the end. So um, I think, I mean, if if I would have had the, the privilege of playing full mm-hmm. Luxelon, for example, I, I think my game could have maybe taken a small step further. Okay. Now let's talk about the big 2002 Australian Open final. You uh, and Safin had. In your career, split meetings now, three and three. I did the research. He beat you in the U.S. Open quarters, and then you got him in the Australian final. Yeah. For a lot of us, it was a big surprise. But uh, where were you mentally? I mean, did you believe before the slam that you were going to win it, or how was the mind frame if you look back? I know that's your biggest win. Yeah. But he came in as a big favorite, and uh, what was your mindset going into that match, and how you look back? Well, I, ne- I, I never thought that I was uh, I was going to especially win that one because before the tournament, I wanted to go home. Uh, I had a, a terrible preparation. I'm, I'm saying that I prepared very well physically, and also I spent a lot of time on the court. But I played two tournaments prior to the to the Australian Open, and I played very, very bad. 
So I told my coach that I really now I want to go home. I'm, I'm tired of this. I want to take a step back. But he forced me to to really just dig deep. And and um, if you if you look at the results in 2002, the first I would say the first two rounds playing wise were not good. Um, fighting wise and mentally very very good. So and then in the third round I remember that's where it all changed. I started to find my game again and from the third round on to the final I just played, you know, better and better. So I think I made maybe the best my best match in the final and especially when I needed it. And you're in some very elite company considering, you know, Swedish male winners from Borg, Willander, Edberg and then it's you. And yeah. a lot of others who, you know, were pretty good players, some of your friends like Norman and Bjorkman and uh, you know Kulti, all these guys were top players in their right but we haven't seen another challenger come from Sweden now we have the Ymir brothers so what's the scene looking like in Sweden and uh, why this pick of a gap well it's not looking good um, we um, we have lost a couple of generations already so but I, I think you know with with um, with the academy that Magnus Norman has created the good to great academy I think that we we um, we are trying our very best to to come to get back on the map again um, but I think it's going to take Many years before Has it we change something foundation-wise. Is it you guys still have clay as a foundation? What's what's the difference? Because most of the Europe, European countries have like top players, and Sweden was such a powerhouse. Yes, and you had great role models because that's what we hear. You know, you have role models and kids take up tennis. Yeah. So there were no shortage of role models. So what is the Swedish foundation uh, federation? Uh, what is the coaching methods? I mean, what, why I, is there? I, such I think a gap? I think it, I think it's a, it's a, it's a mixture. Um, first of all, we have big competitions from other sports as well. Uh, as you said, we don't have a top guy for the moment. So kids, they don't choose tennis as their first first option. You know, when when we had Edberg, Villander, Jared, Nyström, Sundström, Perenfors, all these guys, it was quite natural that everybody played tennis. And of course, we would have you know a lot of successful guys or and girls coming up. So I think we have, like I said, we have lost many generations. And if you look at how the Swedish tennis looks today, we. I mean, you have to go down, you know, to the younger guys and and um, to see, you know, the potential. Um, the girls are doing better. Rebecca Pettersson, for example, she's a great player. She has started to play really well. Johanna Larsson is there as well. So, I think for the first time in a very very long time, the the, the girls are more successful than the guys. So, but but also one thing is that most of the coaches, if you look at. Most of the former players um, that have started to coach, they are not coaching in Sweden. You know, they're coaching outside Sweden. They're coaching on the ATP tour. They're coaching in the WTA tour. They're coaching in the states, or you know, whatever. So, we haven't actually managed to, you know, to um, hold on to our best coaches to 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 have them based in Sweden. An extension to this question is: Are you still part of the Stockholm tournament? Or? No. Okay. No. So when you were, did you see overall attendance and the crowd and the TV endorsements and sponsorship? Did you see it go down or has it stayed steady? Because that's again a big part too. Like if you have a local tournament, yep. and who you can attract in the indoor season. So how was that tournament experience for you in terms of the economic growth and well, tennis growth? Yeah, uh, when we when we were running it, Jonas Björkman and myself and two other guys, we we uh, we had Robin Söderling, uh, he, and at that time he was top ten. So and we also managed to get a very very good strong field to Stockholm and Bostad. Federer played one too, right? Federer played in 2010, the first year we 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 took over. Um, so we always managed to get a very very good field to the tournament. So we actually didn't feel 
um, that I mean the tournament it was doing really really well both of them they were doing really well so we, we, we felt that we were on the right track but then when Robin disappeared we, we felt that it was a big gap to fulfill you know so um, if, you, if you would run a tournament you, you really have to have a local player or a couple of local players that are quite su- successful because then the tournament uh, is doing well and again uh, you're a former player former champion and uh, a lot of players like uh, Feliciano Lopez are doing this now tournament director Tommy yes. Hansen doing it yeah. so explain the process like if a Thomas Johansson comes back to say Stockholm Open or a current player is doing it what is the tricks in the bag to get a Federer and a dollar Djokovic to convince to play a tournament how does that process work you do go to the agents or you use your personal connections how does that uh, cycle work well I think in the world that we live today everything is about relations uh, and um, I had a great relationship where I have a great relationship with Roger uh, I, I, <clears throat> I got to know him when I was already 15 uh, because he was coached by a Swedish guy Peter Langren at the time so I got to know him already then and um, so I think that the key of having a former player as a tournament director is that he can easily pick up the phone and, and call his old colleagues or you know his old friends and, and you get of course you have to do everything through the agent anyway but you have a different connection that most of the tournament directors that they don't have so uh, but it's also very good for a former player to go behind the scenes to see how much work it is to run a tournament because including myself I was quite tough you know why don't they do this why don't they do that why uh, don't they have these cars why don't they have the locker room here instead why don't they have X amount of practice courts so uh, there, there's always a reason for for you know why for example they don't have enough practice courts or, or so that's why I'm saying that it's it would be good for even for a current player to go behind the scenes at least only for two days just to see how much work it is behind the scenes. And you've seen the other side too, you were on the ADP Players Council, right? Yes. So what was your role there and uh, what does that body do that fans don't know? Like Djokovic talked about a union and second part is, do you think the sport needs a union? I think the sport needs a player council uh, and uh, I, 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 I like that the players are quite vocal but sometimes it's better to be vocal in a closed environment than to go into the you know to go to the media straight away and i think a lot of players have have done have made that mistake um i think it's it's um i mean the the players are the for me the players are the tournaments you know the players are the entertainment if we don't have any players we don't have any tournaments um there's a product yeah you're right and that's why i think with davis cup uh now I'm a little bit surprised that the players didn't have a say in what was going on because you will have players that are supporting the new Davis Cup. You would have players that are not supporting the you know the new Davis Cup, but at least make them a part of the decision. Now I think most of the players they feel like the decision was taken over their head. So and that's what I don't like because if you don't have that, if you don't have the players, you don't have you don't have Davis Cup. You don't have the entertainment. And uh, yeah, we were, I was going to get into that uh, in a second, but since you brought it up, so you think that was a decision in haste because there's Labor Cup, which is again more like a exhibition tournament, but then ATP starting its own World Team Cup. So you think ITF felt under pressure, like let's create something 
because uh, I've talked to a lot of players, and especially in Europe and South America, I didn't see if Davis Cup was dying because it's flag country versus country. People are showing up for their yeah. players. It's not about Federer at all. It's about country versus country. Yeah. But they made it like the superstars didn't play. But superstar didn't even play. Becker and Stieg didn't play much together. Mm. That was always the case. So why all this now, and how do we know when they're stands full? And the second part of this question is this World Cup model. It's not going to work. I mean, it, at least for me. Yeah. I'm a purist. I grew up watching India, South Korea on TV. I went to watch Ramesh Krishnan. So I'm old school, but uh, I still want to give it a chance. But I think it's too drastic a change. Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, to try to make a, a long answer co- a short. Uh, when I played, even even since I played, we we all loved playing Davis Cup. We all loved the atmosphere. We all loved representing our country. We all loved the home and away games. We loved that. But there was also a talk that Davis Cup should maybe be every second year instead of having it every year. For example, you can be the world champion, let's say, in November, and then you have the first match in In February. February. For the federations to say that we are the world champions, give them at least a year to roll on that success, you know? Because for me, it's they can be the world champion in November, but then they're out in February. Or maybe give them a bye to the final. <laughs> maybe give them a bye to the quarters or whatever, you know. So the talk has always been there that, you know, the ATP schedule is, is, is tough. Then we have Davis Cup. But now we have the ATP schedule is quite tough. We have um, Davis Cup. We have Labor Cup. And now they want World Team Cup. So I think it's like... It's too much, you know. And if they say that they want to make this Davis Cup like a World Cup, have it every second year then. Yeah, but, but that, that but, ship has sailed now in a lot of uh, countries, a lot of players. I don't find many players, especially some American players think uh, that this is uh, a chance to save the Cup, but I don't see what are they saving it from. Uh, yeah, I, I think that we, first of all, even if I don't like it, we have to give it a chance. You know, we have to at least give it a chance, see how it works out. Yeah. Uh, the players are very vocal uh, at the, at you know at the moment that we don't like this. We like to have the you know the old Davis Cup back. Um, at least give them a chance, um, see how it goes. Even personally, I think it's um, I would prefer the Davis Cup like it was, mm-hmm. but maybe Davis Cup every second year, not okay. every year. And th- this is if they decide this new format, if they can do it every second year, to give a l- little bit of space, especially for the World Team Cup. So let's say if they could have some kind of cooperation that they, let's do the Davis Cup one year, then they would do the World Team Cup the other year, you know. I don't know how those discussions are going. I have no idea. Hi, Thomas, I know we are pressed for time. We have a few minutes, a couple more questions, and we'll round this uh, round this up. So, there's a big talk always of the big four, the golden era. These guys are legends, no doubt. But what has changed? Why, Mark Rosset, someone from your generation, slightly senior, thinks uh, surfaces are homogenized and these players are good, but then it became easy to dominate. So, do you see any valid point in that? Or do you think Djokovic, Federer, Nadal are heads and shoulders above and they would have dominated in any era? Well, I would have liked to see more differences in surfaces, you know. I, I, uh, even though I love, you know, like you said, the, those four players, I love them. They are 
so valuable for our sport. Uh, I would like to see some new guys coming up as well, you know. If the surface is extremely quick, have, I'm just saying, I'm, you know, some other guy in the semis or finals. For the moment, they are dominating. Uh, and Rafa and Roger, for me, it's so impressive, especially Roger that is now 37 years old and he's still, I mean, he's still world number one or two. Um, and Rafa, the same. Um, I would like to see more differences in surfaces. So you would, you would make room for different styles of tennis. And Federer and Djokovic were in, uh, I think, Cincinnati. They asked if they're commissioner for a day. I, I, I'm sure you heard about that. Federer said he would like to see at least more best-of-five matches at the, at the ATP Tour, at least finals or World Tour finals. And Djokovic said for the younger generation, uh, he, would, he wouldn't mind if Grand Slam becomes best-of-three. So where do you stand with that mix of opinion? Well, first of all, we have to, we have to look at... Uh, I'm, I'm not the right guy to... to to answer because I'm 43 years old. We have to ask the young, the younger generation and I don't think, I might be wrong, but I don't think they want to sit and watch a game for best of five sets. I mean, I have a 12-year-old son that he's crazy about tennis, but he loves when the game comes to tiebreak, for example, because then every point counts. Mm -hmm. um, I'm, I don't think that we should have uh, best of five in... Uh, I mean, maybe, 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 maybe in the slams, maybe. Okay. But I would, I would go more for best of three. Uh, I'm not so much against. As a player, I was against it, but as a spectator and as a fan, I'm not against the fast four. Oh, wow. okay. You know, because I think that the younger generation they want quicker matches. They want, they don't want to sit for four hours before they see Roger, you know, uh, or Rafa or whatever. I think that we have to look what the youngsters want to see because they are our future fans if you look now at the average age of a tennis fan it's quite old if you go to the tournaments now and you look they are quite old i mean they're my age and maybe 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 you know older i want to see but the counter argument again i think you're making some very valid point and we're hearing this about and this is the last question i promise yes. the counter argument is uh this era is defined by Federer versus Djokovic. Djokovic versus Nadal, Nadal versus Federer. And a lot of those matches have happened at majors, four sets, five sets. Yep. So if the casual fan who only watches tennis five Sundays or four, four Sundays or four Saturdays a year, if he's watching those matches, so I don't see the new or casual fan complaining because he's talking about Federer, Djokovic, Nadal. Mm. And they are part of these great matches. So is it, a, are they, is it, do we have data to say like a casual fan won't like no, Longer no, matches? I don't. I don't. Like I said, I don't know, and I'm maybe not the right guy because sometimes I see when I get questions. Sometimes I see it uh, as a player, or as a former player, or I see it as a fan, you know. And that's what I said. I think maybe in the slams, keep the best of five. Okay. You know, but thousand events, uh, world tour finals. No, best of three. That that's what I that's what I feel. Um, and like I said. I would not be so much against uh, like a fast four, best of five, because time-wise, it's pretty much, you know, it's they, they tried it in the next gen, and it was very interesting to hear what they said. So, um, like I said, we have to see what the young generation wants to see as well, because we have to, we have to always try to improve our sport. Hey, thanks for your time. It was precious. I could go on forever, but I know you have a <laughs> practice session. It was valuable. I enjoyed it, and hopefully, our 
listeners will enjoy it too. Thanks, Thomas. Thank you. Thank you very much. Your email. I'll let you know yes. when this is released. Okay. Thank you so much. Huh? Are you on Twitter? 